Hello Rebels, before we kick off today's episode, let me ask you a question. What if we could help you unlock your marketing superpower in one day or less? Actually, to be precise, I mean three hours. Yes, you heard it right. What I'm asking you is three hours of your time to join us for a brand new intensive experience on Marketing Deep Dive. One day masterclass that will help you create marketing strategies that capture hearts and mind. And every single masterclass is going to dive deep into one of our favorite topics of marketing. Maybe that email marketing, hiring, or even automations and beyond. If you want to get the fast track ticket to become irresistible, then I suggest you check out our upcoming marketing deep dive, where you're going to get two hours of hands-on training with lots of exercises and practical group work as well. Plus one hour bonus office hours and Q&A. Oh, and we also have a personalized dashboard and bonus templates to help you apply what you learn in our three hours. And just to put a little bow on it, you also get a certificate of completion to show up wherever you can see. If you'd like to find out what is coming up next and which one is our next marketing deep dive, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash masterclass. There you'll be able to find our schedule with our upcoming masterclass for you to join. On with today's show. What does food and marketing have in common? More than you will think. In fact, today we're going to go down memory lane and talk about lots of food analogies with the amazing Amanda Natividad. You probably know Amanda if you're a marketer and you do live under a rock. But just in case you haven't met her yet, she is the VP of Marketing for Audience Research Startup SparkToro. In her spare time, she also writes a marketing newsletter called The Menu, which we do mention on the podcast, and teaches content marketing too. She's also a contributor for Adweek, a Cordon Bleu trained chef, and a former journalist just like yours truly. Amanda previously led marketing for Growth Machine, Liftopia, built Fitbit's B2B content program, and led content and communication for Naturebox. Amanda knows her stuff, and indeed, together, we'll talk about so much more than content marketing. We'll dive deep into understanding our audience as well as more when it comes to the lessons that she learned and unlearned along the way. I hope you're going to love this episode as much as we loved recording it together a couple of months back. So make sure that you go and say hi to Amanda on social after you listen or watch this as well. Let us know who you would like to see next on the show. But in the meantime, may today's class begin. Well, I promised off air that I was going to start asking questions about food. So everybody, welcome back to Old Marketing School, the podcast that is not about food, but starts with food today. <laughs> so there we go, Amanda. I, I would apologize, but I'm not going to because it's a very important question to me. And it is, if you were to eat only one food for the rest of your life, Amanda, what would that food be? <gasps> if I were to only eat one food for the rest of my life, what would it be? Well. It would need to be something overall kind of wholesome, like uh, wholesome as defined by it needs to have some protein, fiber. That's kind of what I just care about, right? Those are kind of the essential things. So I might, I might say some kind of burrito with guacamole, like some kind of – a burrito can be wholesome, right? But it would, but it yeah. would need to include maybe like some steak and some shrimp and then a side of guac. Ooh. 
I think it might be that. Google or Google That's actually a very (laughs) good option. And it actually makes you feel so much more thoughtful than I am. I just went literally because it's one of those questions that I like to ask people, and especially my husband. And then we got into this kind of role of like pasta or pizza. Again, living my stereotype of the Italian lady. But either or, because I was trying to think. See, this is what you think about wholesome. I think about versatile. I'm like, pasta, you can have it with different things. So even if it's pasta... You can have it with, with protein. You can have it with cheese if you wanted to. You can have it with lots of veg. And I was about pizza. So I think I settled on pasta in the end because it's literally, to me, the ultimate kind of like versatile food. But, you know, that's why I always ask because, you know, you can, first of all, I know that, you know, we can tell a lot from people like, you know, about like, what they eat and what they love to eat. So, um, and also I know, I know that you really love food. I love the fact that your newsletter literally is called The Menu and it combines marketing and like food as well in it which i think is absolutely brilliant um and i wanted to ask you actually uh, i know that you actually spend some time also working with foods so to speak and i would love to hear more a bit about that experience as well because again i'm really fascinated with some of the things that we did before we jumped into our jobs and some of the things that we learned especially from a different industry but also an industry that is equally fast-paced and things equally change and you have to kind of you know be on your toes and learn so fast so yeah if you want to tell us a bit more about that side of things i would love to hear a bit of that story So before I became a marketer, I tried to become a food writer or work in the food world. Uh, I had gone to Le Cordon Bleu and after, as I was reaching graduation, I took on an internship at the, at the LA Times test kitchen. That's the, you know, local newspaper in Los Angeles and worked in the test kitchen. And I did some, some freelance writing for them where, you know, if there was a restaurant, a new restaurant opening, I would go and cover it. I would eat at the restaurant. I mean, I'd pay for it myself, but, um, but, you know, I would write about the experience or it wasn't a food review because they had, they had people on staff for that, but it was more of like, this restaurant is open. Here's what you can expect. So a little bit more of a objective piece, less, less so opinion piece. So that was a lot of fun. And that helped me kind of hone some writing chops. Um, and then I also got to work in the test kitchen there where if, if anyone, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it's probably different now at the LA times, but, um, and I worked there around 2012. Oh my gosh. Over 10 years ago, dating myself, but especially, especially 10 or so years ago, if you look up any of the recipes published then, um, all of those recipes that they publish have been tested at least two times by actual people. So when it says like cook this thing for 10 minutes, that's because, you know, at least two different people have sauteed those onions and re- and saw like, okay, t- 10 minutes is the precise time where it's going to be kind of soft, yada, yada. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. And even just the culinary school experience was a lot of fun. Prior to that, I was working in journalism. And so going to, you know, an industrial kitchen, being on my feet all night, you know, chopping things quickly, sauteing, roasting. Um, it was a very different change of pace from an office job. And it was one that, I mean, it was really just fun. It, it was tiring, but also invigorating. And I think the whole experience kind of taught me uh, taught me more about resilience and dealing with feedback real time, moving quickly, pivoting when needed. And it's just experience that I am really grateful to have had. 
It's kind of funny because as you were mentioning some of these things, I was like, yeah, sounds about some good skills marketers need anyway. I was like, yep, that sounds pretty good. And what I love as well, because I'm going to admit I'm not the best chopper, maybe because of my lack of patience, but my chopping skills, you will be ashamed. Honestly. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm putting my chopping skills down a bit. I appreciate that. But what what I love about what you mentioned about, you know, the sorting and the chopping and all these things is like, again, going back with my marketing analogy, because why not? Um, I also find that, again, even in marketing and a lot of what you write about, a lot of what you teach about as well and what you do is really about understanding some of the core foundations, which some of them might shift, but there's kind of some principles that we can see again and again and then apply to how the marketing world changes. And I think that it can be hard sometimes to get back to the importance of those foundations because the shiny objects, the new things, the different platforms, the different avenues, the different channels you know, can obviously get us into you know, the element of the tactics, which again, I know that you talked about in one of your newsletters as well, which is a big part of a strategy as well as the tactics, but it's also the strategy itself and kind of all of these things. So it's almost like understanding how those moving pieces work together and kind of understanding and honing the foundations as well when it comes to like your marketing experience, which kind of leads me to one question to kind of start because class is now in session. So thank you so much for joining us for class. Based on what I said, but you can choose anything you like, Amanda, what is one thing that you could teach our students and listeners in roughly one minute or so? I think, I think I can teach someone to, to write more engaging social media content in a minute. And my advice on that will be to always focus on what's in it for the reader and I know that's common advice overall. That is something people generally hear. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. What's in it for the reader? We are so excited to announce. No, 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 no. That's what's in it for you. Right? We, and we, look, we all do this. I've done this. I'm not saying I'm perfect. What I'm saying is I think people hear that advice and they think they understand it, but they're still doing it wrong. And again, I've done this too. Yes, yes, value for the reader. I am so pleased to announce our new partnership. No, because that's focused on how you feel about that, how you, the poster, think think about or feel about that thing. There's nothing in it for the reader. And I think if you look at some of the you know viral business posts that you see, one lesson to be learned in it is that the value to the reader is immediately clear. You might not like it. It might not be your cup of tea and that's fine. But those posts will say things like, here's how to do this thing to build a million dollar business. If you're the target audience for that, you want, I want to build a million dollar business or here's how to build an email list with 10,000 leads in two months. Oh, I want that, right? Like those are all things that the reader in that target market reflexively wants quickly wants. And I think that as as social social media marketers, and I'm saying that in a broad term, and at some point I think we're we are all social media marketers. That is something that I think social media marketers need to really home in on and really need to understand and practice. And I think once you're actually thinking through like what's in it for the reader, why do they need to read this? Why do they need to click this? I think it'll come together better for you. Happy dance. <laughs> every single whenever I hear something I love there's always a little bit of a dance which obviously if you watch on YouTube is a delight for you you're welcome if you don't you can imagine whichever dance you want you're very welcome too regardless um 
I want to, I want to actually, obviously I want to like feedback on that because I think it's so important and I absolutely love one bit that you mentioned, which is obviously not just the actual advice itself is the fact that because we hear it, we're like, yes, yes, Amanda, I know that. And I love that you actually reminded us of, it's okay to think about that, but then how are you actually going to be, wait a second. And I, one thing that I want to hear your opinion as well, but I'm, we're both a past of journalists. I used to, used to be a music journalist. So one of the things that I learned about that and about being a writer is that whenever I would send something to my editor, especially reviews or even interviews sometimes, there will always be a lot of feedback, a lot of editing, which was fine. And one of the things that I learned about myself is that me, as I was sitting down to write something or transcribe something as the writer, I have a completely different mindset as me as the editor and the proofreader. And so even when I was doing it for myself, just to make life easier, I realized that I was wearing different hats and it was easier for me to just kind of write and kind of then see maybe how I wanted to edit or shift or change my things for myself later on. So I find that if you are struggling with what obviously Amanda just mentioned, one of the things that has helped me personally is sometimes is actually to give myself time from the first draft of something, especially if I'm just, as you say, I'm not as intuitively picking up these cues and then going back with more of a editing hat on and maybe looking at, okay, how does this feel? As you said, uh, is it really clear what's in it for my audience? Because I find that sometimes it can be hard for us to kind of separate those hats and have that reflective piece at a gut instinct. So that's my piece of advice or my kind of reflective thought on that. But I also want to ask you, as a social media manager, as you said, most of marketers are social media marketers. Um, how do you feel or do you feel that your experience with journalism, whether it was before or even during your food writing work, has helped you or maybe kind of given you some really reflections about how you const- oh, sorry, not constantly, currently, that's the word, write content online. So how has that helped you or maybe like, you know, shifted your perspective or supported you with this? Yeah. Um, so what I'll say, and I, I think you'll relate to this too, as, as a former journalist yourself, is I think as journalists, I mean, you learn two, two really important skills. One, you learn to do research in a way that I think a lot of Maybe content marketers or people who are marketers who are getting into content, it's not very intuitive for them. And by research, I mean like things like I think people like you and I or journalists like you, former journalists like you and I, we're not afraid to like pick up the phone and call someone. Or you're like, well, I need to get this quote or I need to understand this thing. I just need to reach out to this person, get the quote, whether it's a phone call, an email or something that's very direct, right? Where you're like, hey, writing a piece on, you know, this topic can I get your quote on your thoughts about like distribution platforms? Right. And like, and and I think you and I are not afraid to do that. And that's in the sense that that's just part of the job, right? If you're writing a good blog post, that's just what you do. Where I think if, and that's just kind of how we were trained to write news articles, right? You're writing a news article, need to get a quote. And I think if you are a marketer who's getting into blog writing, that's not intuitive, to you. You know, that's not really part of the marketing training. And so one, there's that reflex. Um, and then two, I think it's also that we just, and I think, again, it's in our training, right? It's in our training of talking to people, doing research, reading a lot, writing a lot. It's, we just know what is good information and what isn't, right? When you're looking for the substantial like facts, stats, um, evidence to kind of back up or support your claim, you just know what works and what doesn't, right? You'll, you'll look at something and you'll go like, mm, that's one person's opinion and that one person works at this 
small startup in this niche. It's not really broadly applicable. That experience for them can be true, but I don't think this is helpful for my article because I need I need some evidence or some real life anecdotes that are more broadly applicable across the industry, right? Like those are things that I think that's a pretty good distinction that you only really learn or hone through a lot of practice. I agree and absolutely love that. And another thing that I have learned and I want to see if it's something that also you have experienced is understanding and I have to relearn all the time, by the way. Fun fact, eh, you wish, but it kind of have to relearn actually how to speak my audience's language. And funnily mm-hmm. enough, you know, using their own words, it was so much easier when I was talking about music because realistically speaking, like a lot of that was fed to me. A lot of that was kind of like some of the lingo was the lingo that we would use, especially when you were talking about something specific. Whereas whether I'm working with clients or with students or even just sometimes talking to my own people and just trying to, I need to remind myself of the element of, you know, when you speak, when you use the words of your audience, when you kind of take that in and you hone it and you reflect it back to them, it's so much clearer. As you said, you made a great example about how to kind of provide value quickly, but actually say things that they think is some of the problems they want to solve and their pain points. And I think that this is something really great. But for me, what I miss sometimes, even when I was doing that, was I was still using words that would not relate to them. I was still using things that would not necessarily fully understand or hone in themselves, which I felt then the messaging kind of went off a bit without me realizing. So that's something that I have learned. And then whenever I catch myself not doing it, I need to kind of bring myself back to think about what do my actual students say? What is some of the data that I have to show me a bit like you mentioned quotes from interviews that I can actually use to infuse that into the message that we have is it something that you have noticed and or something that you know you have experienced or again it's something that you naturally do because I know that some people actually are very much well versed in it for me is a constant relearning of it yeah I, I think it depends right I think it kind of depends on the industry um and it's where that's where it's really important to just talk to people in that industry, right? Like whether it's your customers, um, you know, in my case, my customers are other marketers. So in a sense, it's very easy for me to have these conversations, right? But customers, just people like who are, who would be the consumers of this product. um, It's just super important to be, to continue to hone that and like keep practicing those muscles. And even just, you'll, you'll pick up certain nuances or certain terminology along the way. And I just think it's, I just think it's super interesting. And I think like at this point, I think I have a pretty good sense of what is terminology or what is good jargon in other industries or like I can hear something and go, oh, that's a, that's a, that I feel like is a known term. And I think that's super interesting. Like I went to, I went to a conference yesterday. It was not a marketing one. It was one about, um, social impact. It was the social, social innovation summit. It was in LA and a lot of the people there, not everybody, but a lot of the people there were in sort of HR and, uh, chief people, officer, human resource type, type of roles. And something they talked about in one of the panels was parental leave, like parental leave policies. And one person said, I think what a lot of people are doing these days is they're playing the boss lottery. Like they're trying to find the best boss or employer that would give them a really good parental leave policy. And I, and I just, my ears perked up when I heard uh, playing the boss lottery, where I was like, that's a really good term. And I think that's a good example of something in the sort of people management space, because 
that's not an official term, right? That's not like an official, like, like textbook, like policy term, but it's like casual industry, like conversational fodder where you hear it, you, you instantly know what that means. It doesn't need to be explained to you, but it also feels insidery. Like those are sort of the phrases that I really, I really like to hear about in any kind of niche or industry. And I just think it's super interesting. Hey there, all marketing school listeners. It's Fab here. And I'm going to ask you whether you are ready to take your marketing prowess to the next level. If the answer is yes, then you are in luck because applications are open for our eight-week old marketing school certification. This isn't just any certification. It's designed for the modern marketer, the ones just like you, who are hungry to make a genuine difference. Picture this. You're armed with a bespoke marketing toolkit that saves you hours, allowing you to laser focus on building those invaluable relationships with your superfans. With us, marketing becomes more than just a task. It's human, impactful, and I dare to say it, fun. Let's bring back the joy, toss confetti in the air, and play your favorite hype song as you ace your campaigns. But why join us? Okay, let me break this down. We have proven processes and frameworks, so you can learn straight from industry leaders. You also will get your very own marketing operating systems and ready-to-use templates, a toolkit designed to bring you clarity and order into the marketing chaos plus a private community and accountability groups to surround yourself with driven individuals or on the same journey. And for those craving direct feedback, we've got hot seat sessions and expert panels. So you can get insights on latest trends and also get personalized feedback on your assignments and work. So are you ready to make people absolutely fall head over heels for you and your work? All the details are laid out in our curriculum. To get it, simply head to amschool.click slash curriculum. That's amschool.click slash curriculums. The next chapter of your marketing story starts with us. See you in class. I love that, especially because then I can see how then you can use that. <clears throat> Obviously, you can then use it if or, or when you need to talk to these people, you kind of want to relate to them and drop these things in. And it goes back to something that you already mentioned which makes me always happy, which is obviously understanding our audience and understanding them on a deeper level, which is really kind of knowing, again, some of the little things that inside the knowledge, and it goes back to like the psychology of the reasons why we choose specific things and whether it's visual marketing, whether it's bigger campaigns. And it's kind of one of those things that can also make your content stand out when it comes to the sea of content that we have out there, especially in the different platforms that we're at. One of the things that I also found that can be going back to this journey with the audience, a bit of um, a bit of a challenge that sometimes we, again, f might forget about, especially when we're working within our own business or with our own clients, is actually remembering those check-ins, not just speaking to our audience, but also remembering to check in whether their problems have changed. And I wanted to ask you about your experience and or your advice that you would have when it comes to that, because I think it's such an important reminder that our audience might change, the problems might change. And I think the best example was the before times and then the middle times, whatever, but they see, you know what I'm talking about, you know, with the before times. Uh, and then there was a time when we were all stuck at home and obviously everybody's habits changed. And I think it was a good reminder for marketers that, you know, sometimes our problems, our pain points will shift 
And now that we are in a time where, again, you know, the world is working again in a different way and we found new habits and routines, it's just not forgetting to check in on our audiences and make sure that we know if we're serving them the right way. So what would be some of the things that you would think about or the advice that you would give when it comes to making sure that we're still on track with that? Well, I think I think it's 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 just some of the very top line, very overall problems that don't that don't tend to change that much. Right. I think there's like the overall pain point probably still exists, but below that or right, the job to be done, that might change every time. Right. So I think like, for example, during peak pandemic, I think um, podcast list listenership was down. Right. It didn't it doesn't it didn't mean that people no longer wanted to learn or no longer wanted to consume interesting or funny or whatever value is subjective, right? Uh, interesting content, right? It didn't mean that. It just meant that they were looking to other sources of influence or other sources of information, right? So then maybe they were, I think people were on social media a lot more often. So like reading tweets, uh, watching TikToks, you know, going through Instagram reels, like those were things that people were doing. They weren't so much putting on headphones and then sitting quietly in a corner to listen to a 40-minute podcast, right? The, the, the overall appetite for content was there, but the form factor, the desired form factor was different. So I think trying to be attuned to things like that is really important. And I'll also fully admit that's a good example of hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. Like I don't I, I'm not saying that like I knew during that moment. I didn't know. I just remember having read that somewhere and they're like, oh, that's really interesting. Actually, that does make sense. So maybe what I would say is look for those macro trends uh, or macro instances. In this case, the macro instance being the pandemic. <laughs> um, look at those sort of macro instances and see what you can learn from it. So essentially learn from recent history and how that might apply to future situations. Or if you're facing a current situation, try to think of a similar type of historical event. And by historical event, I don't mean, it doesn't have to be like 50 years ago. It's just whatever's in the past. Um, think about a similar historical event and see if you can research that and how those problems were approached and what you could then apply as a framework to your current situation. A woman after my own heart. Like the more you manage to research, the more like I do a little FETA. It's just like, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Which you know where the cool kids are when that's that's what makes us excited. Uh, before I get to my second, believe it or not, the second question from class in session, I would love for you to explain to us, just bearing in mind that we've got marketers of all shapes and sizes, briefly, what is jobs to be done? Because I know that some people might not be familiar still with the framework. So can you give us a short explanation of what that is, please? Oh yeah, sure. So jobs to be done. Um, I well, first I apologize. I don't. I don't. I don't recall off the top of my head who invented it, but I believe it came from a consulting firm. Um, so you know, obviously not something I'm trying to take credit for. But jobs to be done is it's a framework for how to think about the way people use products or services, right? And this can apply to a B two C audience, B two B audience. It's the product, and it could be the product can be the service, right? The thing that you as a marketer are selling, that product. Um, how how is that helping somebody accomplish a job, right? And so it's thinking about that. So, for instance, things like designer handbag, 
the job to be done there or the job that that designer handbag is accomplishing is not, it's not holding stuff, right? The, the job that it's accomplishing is status signaling, right? It's because you bought the purse because you want to signal something about yourself. Sure. Right. That's one example. Or it could be, um, you, you, you get a savvy Cal or Calendly subscription because you're hiring it to be your personal assistant to manage your calendar for you. So that's how I would describe jobs to be done. I love that. Great examples as well, especially the, the currently one as well. I can see that, especially from a B2B perspective. And thank you for mentioning as well, I mean, that it can apply to both industries because I find when I also try to explain it to students, sometimes you kind of feel like jobs, is this like, you know, a service-based element? And that's the kind of mentality of the products. So I love the designer bag example too. Now talking again about frameworks, fun fact, but what is a tactic or a strategy or a framework of your choosing that you learn from somebody else that stood out to you? I think my the one that I keep coming back to because it's it's been over a year now is my boss Rand Fishkin's hook line sinker format for writing. And this was something he he kind of mentioned, I think he mentioned it on a podcast or maybe during Spectoro office hours. He said he said some kind of throwaway comment about hook line and sinker and I was like what's that I I know what that is, right? But I was like what do you mean? Or like say more. And then he was like, oh, you know, when you're writing something, you need to hook people in, have a line, and then your sinker, that call to action that they should stay with. And I was like, that's good. And I'm like, I like that. I'm like, that should be a thing. And he was like, you really think so? And so he wrote it to a blog post. And you, anyone here can look it up, hook, line, sinker. And it can he, – he, I, think, I think he was initially thinking about it as like a blog post sort of format, but it really applies to anything. Um, or maybe he did – think of it to be broadly applicable to content in general. But anyway, the hook, right? It's you hook people in. You get you you make some kind of promise to the reader or consumer. Like, what is it that you're going to get out of this? Here's this thing that you need to know. The line is essentially the, you know, the the meat, right? The what you're going to deliver on. Like the content, like the outline, the list of items, whatever it is, it, it backs up the hook. And then sinker is the lingering takeaway that you want someone to go with, or it's the call to action that you want them to take. And it's, it, it, it's, it, it helps because it helps you create one cohesive essay or video or podcast where you're thinking very, in a, it's still, you know, kind of flexible enough, right, as a format, but it's, it gives you enough guardrails to think, how am I going to hook people? How am I going to promise it? And then how am I going to get them? How am I going to get this idea to stay with them? Whether that call to action is getting them to be convinced of something or to be moved to do something or take some or like convert on your landing page, like whatever that is, like what is the sinker? What's what you, what are you trying to get them to do? And can you get them to do that with this format? I love that. Now, my question to you based on your experience would be, what do you think is the element out of the hook, line and sinker that most marketers either overlook or maybe tend to forget? Maybe they should work on a bit more. Is there one that kind of jumps out? Well, my bias is I always have trouble writing conclusions to like long form content. So I want to say the sinker, like, like tighten it up, right? Like, like, bring it back to the intro or something like bring it back, bring, you know, 
maybe it's consolidate the ideas, like wrap it up in a cohesive, interesting, insightful way. That's what I want to say, but I don't know, actually, because part of me thinks it's actually the line. Like, I don't think you need to sell people on the hook. I think marketers are like, yeah, I know I need to, I need to have a good hook. But the line, I think, is also really complicated because that gets into, well, how do I know this is good enough? Am I really delivering on the promise I'm making? Are these ex examples substantial enough? I think maybe that's the hardest part because that's more, that's more subjective, right? Because who's to say, like, there's no right format for when, when you are creating content. And I'm trying to be uh, more inclusive of not just blog posts, but like videos and audio content. Like in any kind of piece, you don't have to have three concrete examples. It doesn't have to be seven examples or 10. It's just whatever works, whatever gets your point across. And I do think that's really hard to do because there isn't one right way to do it. Like you might be able to accomplish something by way of one really, really strong example. I personally, I would say I, <clears throat> when I kind of feedback what you said, sorry, I want to repeat what you said. I also find that it can be also personal because some people might struggle with different things. I personally am with you on that one, mainly because of what you just mentioned, which I think is also very important. And then if you also go to the element of how any type of content, but again, I'm I'm biased. I'm thinking about blog posts at first, but I can even open it up a bit more. But even just longer form content, even short form content, the meat, the meat you mentioned as the meat of the content is actually what in trends tends to change a lot. You know, you find that some people, you know, for a very long time were very receptive to case studies. Recently, that's where a lot of people go back to. Uh, there was a time where, you know, actually lists work really well. And then obviously it all depends on the context and the type of things. But, you know, as you said, sometimes three examples work really well because break down things in different perspectives. And then a full-on case study works works very strongly too. So I find that not just because of, you know, is it going to be good enough or effective enough? I also think there's the sub-layer and the subtext of, how the consumption trends have changed and what type of content we kind of tend to resonate with the most and be more kind of um, exposed to as well. I think that also kind of gives us a bit of an issue because as you said, you know, you have to have the hook, you know, to have to have the sinker. So once you kind of figure out that flow, which I love because it's simple enough, then, you know, that can be easy for you to replicate. But is, you know, how do you work with also what are the changing trends in kind of how we consume that content and the different type of content that we get attracted to for different reasons. So I can see that being a bit of a challenge because it's an extra layer that we need to be mindful of on top of everything else as always. Now, on the question, which is where I get nosy, what is your favorite tool for your day-to-day -day work? So you can choose whether you want to think more about your online work in general whether it's your work with SparkTor or whatever you feel like. But what would be the, your favorite tool for your work when it comes to being a kick-ass marketer? Um, okay, well, for marketing specifically, hmm. Well, I want to, can I give two answers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's go rogue. I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay, for the marketing work, a lot of my marketing work is writing. Uh, it might not be the case for every kind of marketer, but for me it is. And so, for me, I like a really, really good text editor. And so I use an app called Lex.Page. It happens to have uh, like some GPT capabilities. But however, for me, the job to be done is that it is a Google Docs replacement. 
So I'm coming up on space or running out of space in my Google Drive. And uh, and so I'm trying to look for alternatives to just not keep filling my Google Drive up. And so I'm using Lex for that. So with Lex, you can organize your, your writing into different folders, which is great. I have some for personal use, some for Sparktoro. And that's where I draft all my content. It's a really, a really very clean, simple, minimalist interface where I can just type and get going. And the GPT capabilities, which I sometimes use, are I'll highlight a paragraph and then I'll ask it to give me feedback on the paragraph. And then it might identify sentences that are unclear or, or what it thinks are unclear, right? And then I can look at that and see, do I agree with that? Should I fix that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? Or like maybe I'll find a weird a weird verb verb choice, right? Or I'm like, oh, that's wrong, and I'll I'll rewrite that. So it helps me kind of flag some of those things. And overall, it's just a nice writing experience. So I use that pretty often. My second answer, and this is a little bit less marketing, which is why I was like, I want to give two, but I use it all the time, especially now, is Notion. I previously, <laughs> I I had been a paid user of Evernote since 2011, like so many years. And then I think like in the recent years, they've stopped innovating the product, but just kind of made some general like maintenance changes or like up little upgrades here and there, which I was fine with. But then they're, they, they, I got a notice that they were increasing the price by 50%. And I just thought like, that just seems wrong to me to increase it by 50% and then to no longer make true innovations. Like I'm not paying for that. <laughs> it like made me mad. So then I was like, I need to, I need to just switch it over to something else. And then I decided to go all in on notion, which I had already been using here and there. And so now I'm all in on notion. I like it a lot. I am not a power user by any means, but I use it for, for what works for me. And I mean, I created a sort of life dashboard where I track a couple of daily habits, like things I want to do every day. I track all my tasks, like things I have to do for Spectoro and then just personal life stuff, right? Like have to stop by the bank and like get some cash, like things like just personal like to do's like that. And I also have like, I, I keep my recipes there. I use a tracker or not a tracker, but a, some database from Steph Smith, um, uh, she's posted this on her social media before, but Steph Smith, she's a podcast host and creator, an indie maker. Uh, but she made this notion that was called expiring reads. And you just put in links to things that you're, you mean to consume, like whatever, you know, like things you're going to read or whatever. And you just check it off. Like you complete the task as it's done. But if you don't consume it within a month, it just disappears. And so that's what I like because I often have things that I intend to read, but it just kind of sits there. But if it's been longer than a month, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to read it. So it's nice for it to just go away. And then the last thing I have is my chore tracker, like my household chores. Like I have re recurring tasks and I have, a, I have a very specific chore schedule that I adhere to. I don't, I don't hire for help in my house, do it all myself. And so every day I have a couple of chores I need to do. It doesn't take me longer than 30 minutes in a whole day. But as a result, my home is cleaner and it's a lot more manageable. Hey, dear listener, it's Fab here. As you may know, here at Alt Marketing School, we're all about optimizing and being efficient. And one tool that's been an absolute game changer for us, Notion. 
Absolutely, we use Notion daily to streamline the business from project management to content calendars, note-taking, and even podcast coordination. It's all housed under one beautiful roof. And for all our marketer friends out there, imagine the time you could save when all your information is in one place. Say goodbye to juggling multiple platforms and hello to unified productivity. But here's where it gets even better, with Notion AI. With the power of artificial intelligence, you can automate tasks, get insightful recommendations, and make your marketing projects run even smoother. Harness the future today and see how Notion can revolutionize the way you work. Trust us, once you dive into Notion, you'll wonder how you ever managed your life without it. Want to give Notion a spin? Head over to amschool.click slash Notion to get started. That's amschool.click slash Notion. And now, back to the show. First of all, welcome to the dark side. I'm really happy to have you in the Notion <laughs> dark side. I, <clears throat> so I am, I am here to say hello, my name is Fab and I am a Notion power user. So I I can only see this the beginning of a beautiful journey for you, or I hope so. Um, no, aside from the jokes. Uh, I love Notion and I love the idea actually of having the um, kind of like the deadline almost of the different kind of resources. Well, we usually encourage our students because we have a sick, our second brain, Notion second brain is a dashboard that has different pages, different databases. And it's our bestseller. Like it's one of the things that most of the people that come across us, if not our students will buy because obviously has these different elements. And what we encourage is like archiving things. But I love also the idea of that urgency. That's why I wanted to reiterate it, especially for somebody who knows how to use Notion, you could do it with filters. Again, I'm not going to go too nerdy, but, uh, and I think it works really well. I can see that working because like my current list and I'm quite diligent. I go in and I check my list of, you know, interesting reads and things I want to action. And I try my best to kind of clean it up. But for a lot of us, I know that it can be hard. So I think that, automatic feedback that you get that kind of like well it's there and then it's not going to be anymore is really powerful so interesting i'll have to look into that thank you for feeding my obsession i appreciate that <laughs> thank you very much thank you very yeah, much yeah. um but yeah big fans big fans of ourselves on notion is is wonderful notion if you're hearing you're wonderful um so yeah happy you did the switch i think i stopped using evernote in 2018 but i i have been there myself i actually really enjoyed it and yeah, I think for me, it was more like a natural progression, but I had no idea that they just went 50% up with the pricing. That's ridiculous. Never note. Not cool. Not cool at all. Amanda? What is something, we're going to switch things up. What is something that you have unlearned recently? Unlearned? Uh, something that maybe, yeah, something that maybe improved, you know, the quality of your life or even your work. What would be one thing that you unlearned recently? Well, this one is... I guess this one's a little personal, but it's also work-related. So over the past several months, there's been this sort of dark cloud hanging over my head. And that dark cloud was that I felt pressure to write a business book. And it was just, there's this idea that I have that, I, that I've had that I've, that I've been like, I should probably turn this into a book. I should probably write this thing. I don't know. And then I keep telling myself like, yeah, just start like maybe with an outline and then try to write it from there. 
And then I've talked to a couple close friends about it and they're like, yeah, you should write a book. And so it was sort of out there, like kind of in the world. And I was telling myself like, yeah, you should do this thing. It's important. Like credible people write books. This is great. But I wasn't doing it. Like I just wasn't doing it. I just, I was thinking about it all the time, but I wasn't doing anything about it. And this went on for months. And then I finally decided to just talk to Rand about it. I talked to Rand, my boss, and was like, Rand, I think I should write this book about this topic. Here's why I think I should do it. But what do you think? Like, do you think this is a book? Do you think this is interesting? Do you think this is a good use of my time? And 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 part of it too is as we are recording this podcast, I'm almost seven months pregnant. So I was also saying this or reaching out with the, with the ask of like, I only have a couple months until parental leave. Like, should I use my time on this thing? And I didn't know, I didn't know what I wanted to hear, right? I was asking for advice and Rand wrote back to me. We just, we, we do a lot of our communication through email because we like long form writing. And he, he wrote back with, no, I don't think this is a book. I think if you're moved by it and you really want to do it, you totally should. But frankly, I don't think this is a book idea. I think this is too, I don't think this idea is timeless enough. And I think business books should have an element of timeliness. It should be something that's applicable for a long time. And I don't think this idea that you have is. And that was the short of it. And I was so relieved to hear that. I was like, and I didn't know that I would be, like, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to hear. So when I read it, I just felt this like relief wash over me. And I was like, oh my God, like I didn't want to write this book. Cause he was like, if you're moved by it, you, you absolutely should. And I support it. But I was like, no, I don't want to write this. I just thought that I had to. And I feel like this gives me the like the permission that I didn't know that I needed to let go of this idea. And I was like, thank you for this. Like I was, I was like cursing myself with this idea of like, you must do this thing. Like no, nobody was putting pressure on me, completely self-inflicted. But once I heard that, like, you know, essentially in a very, very like loving and kind way, essentially that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do this. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad because I was dreading, Clearly, I was dreading this project because I've made no headway on it. And that is something that I think I've unlearned because I had this internalized pressure to do something without even really truly thinking with clarity, do I actually want to do this? And I think there's such a big difference between doing something you don't want to do or like doing something because you think you should do it. And there's also this fine line of like, because there are some things that you should do that you actually should do, <laughs> right? There are some, some, maybe it's about our job, our day-to-day life. I think there, there are all kinds of things that maybe we're avoiding that we're like, I should do this, but I don't want to do it. But you know you actually should do it, right? But then there are the other things that you think you should do, but you really don't have to do. So I think it's really important to understand what are those things? How are they different? And how, and you, it's all personal, right? You have to figure out for yourself, like, what are these things that I can let go of? And what are these things that I really need to just, you know, be a responsible person and take accountability and handle it? <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for sharing, because that was actually a beautiful reminder. So thank you. And what's really funny is that that's in a very small 
perspective, but there's something that I've literally done like last week at time of recording where I was asking whether I should do something that we're kind of set up to kind of do and kind of run. And then I went to <clears throat> Steph, shout out to Steph, who also does all the production on the pod. And um, I asked her her permission and I was like, I know <laughs> that the decision comes to me. I need that sounding board and I need you to give me the tough love that I need. And I know that whenever I need it, she's there for me. And this is actually something that I've learned by doing this quite a few times. And whenever I made a decision that felt right, that I didn't want to face, is because either I asked somebody to allow me to hear me out, or basically they just told me, like, you know, when I when I closed my old company, similarly to this experience, uh, you know, my friend just said to me, why are you doing it? What, what happens if you close it down? And I was like, oh, wait, it's true. What happens if I close it down? What happens if I moves on? Is it the right time? And sometimes even when we know what you just said even when we know and we feel it and there's the internalized pressure is almost the people that we trust and I can see the relationship or I can hear the relationship between the two of you is a very strong one in the way that you trust him enough to ask and he trusts and values your opinion enough that he felt good to tell you what he thought knowing that you will make the right decision and it kind of also gives you the kindness to yourself to be like I'm going to ask for help like from somebody that can give me you know, the freedom to kind of then take that step that I need to take. And I love that because I think sometimes we either feel that is that distinguishing what our gut is telling us versus what we think is right. And so bringing somebody else in the picture can really help us move that. So beautiful lesson. I can say that it works for me too. And I generally think it can work for so many people. So it's a great reminder of, you know, sometimes it's just that the little thing that we need, but we're still waiting for your book, Amanda. We don't know what it's going to be, but we know one <laughs> might come at some point. So, you know, whenever you're ready, we're here for it. Even if it's a marketing cookbook, which would be hilarious. I don't know how it would work out, but we'll see. Well done for getting from class in session. I have quick fire round of this or that. Amanda, I'm going to give you two options and you're going to choose which one you're going to keep. Are we ready? Yes. Cool. Spotify playlist or podcast? Spotify playlist. Excellent. Voice note or text? Text. Nice. I mean, I know you're like, why are you asking? But I have to ask. I ask everybody. Right. I know the one that I'll be one. Um, carousels <laughs> or reels? Carousels. Nice. We're going video now. TikTok or YouTube? I shouldn't say it, but TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> Um, now we're going to go harder. The last few are going to be the hardest ones. Newsletter or Twitter? Newsletter. Nice. Memes or GIFs? That's our final one. Memes. Absolutely memes. <laughs> I love the 100% conviction. <laughs> I had somebody trying to explain to me how they could actually... So there are a lot of people find a loophole with this one. You can see how strongly people feel about both options. Uh, but I love the conviction. I know it can be one that can have a lot of pros and cons to either side. So... No, thank you. This is just to kind of bring us back into like closing times. And what is the last picture you took on your phone, Amanda? Do you remember? I think it was a picture of my husband building a dresser for me. <laughs> and the key dresser that I saw in your, in your stories. Yeah, it? it was that one. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm also going to be honest. Look, I don't I don't love uh, in my in my household that we often not all not always but often ascribe to societal gender norms because look I am all about like you do what's right for you inclusivity everything be you know I, I don't I, it's not intentional but I just so happen 
to, I love to cook. I love to take care of my kitchen. I love those things. I don't like building furniture. I am fully capable of it. And it, I, it's fine. I, I built my little sofa and this little nightstand behind me. I made those. It's fine. But I don't like it. And my husband doesn't mind it. And I'm almost seven months pregnant. So he very lovingly was like, I'm just going to do this for you. And I was like, you know what? I accept. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. And then you can be like, I'm going to play on my strengths and I'm going to make us an amazing dinner so that we can just enjoy it after the dresser is ready. So, yeah. no, I appreciate that. And I totally understand. It's playing to your strengths as well, which I think is super important. Now, since we're social media people, I would love to ask you, what is your favorite social media platform at the moment and why? Hmm. You know, at, at the moment, my favorite social platform uh gosh I don't know <laughs> I thought I had a clear answer and then as I started to like form the idea in my head I was like oh no that's not true I you know what I'm going to say LinkedIn and I'm nice. going to say that because I know we all think at some point or another that LinkedIn is is cringe like I, I, and I feel this way too at times there are some posts that I'm like not for me but that's okay but I think by and large, the intentions are a lot nicer or like uh, more innocent, I guess, on mm -hmm. LinkedIn, where even if something is cringe, it's, it, it comes from a place usually, right, of a person wanting to seek connection. And that's there's nothing more human than that. And at least at least people are trying. Right. And I think and for LinkedIn, at least for the most part, it's people using their government name with their faces, with their titles, trying to put their best foot forward. And so I think for any of its cringiness or perhaps content that you don't like, that's all personal preference. But I think at the end of the day, it is, maybe I'm just an optimist, but I really, I really believe that at the end of the day, it's people who are just trying to put their best foot forward. They're trying to get a new job or they're trying to hire or they're trying to position themselves as you know a credible like thought leader in their space and there's nothing wrong with that and i think it's all very nice and i think that just represents like what i want more people to be doing on social media like just trying their best and like being themselves and i love the idea of actually it's just you know being on us in a space that you kind of enjoy being in as well, not just because of the content you create, which is good, you know, the type of content you want to create, but also because of the content that is around you and the conversations and the people that you have around you. I'm a big believer in kindness first, and I appreciate that everybody's going through the things in their life and they might, everybody has bad days, but then also part of me is like, if you start by just being a bit kinder to everybody, you know, the world becomes a tiny, tiny bit better. And that's never a bad thing. So, you know, it's that kind of thing, a space that genuinely kind of embrace that is a place where obviously we also feel more compelled to show up more often because we feel we can, you know, share our experience. So I absolutely love that. Is there anybody that we should follow, aside from yourself, on the platform that you would like, one person you would like to recommend us on LinkedIn that you think embodies that really well? Oh, I will say, yeah, uh, Adrian Shears. She is terrific, um, great marketer. PR, organic marketing, social media person. Um, she also has a LinkedIn show called Unleash Your Expertise. I think it's I think it's weekly. So keep an eye out for Adrienne. She's great. Um, and especially on the PR front, she just she really knows like she really knows like the PR side. Like, like, like 
how to talk about certain topics, how to position things just right, how to jump on certain trends or timely topics. And she's just, it's just become a well-honed skill for her and she's so good at it. So I love learning from her and she's also a lovely person. So Love it. Absolutely amazing. Amanda, I have one more final question for you. And it's one of the hardest ones because we keep the best for last, as they say. If you could, you have the power to broadcast one message onto everyone's phones, what would that one message say? I think that one message would say, uh, afford yourself as much grace and kindness as you do of your closest friends. I like it. Let it sink in. I love it. Being kinder to others, be kinder to ourselves is a way, great way to end. Thank you so, so much. Amanda, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Let's leave them with a beautiful place to go to say hi and connect with you. Yeah. So uh, you can check out my work and, you know, personal or social media accounts and newsletter on my personal site, amandanet.com. And then for more on my actual work, like my day-to-day marketing work, SparkToro is the best place to go. We also have a a twice a month audience research newsletter. So that's where I tend to do a lot of my marketing writing and curating. And yeah, so keep an eye out for SparkToro's audience research newsletter. Thank you so, so much. Lots of places to go, lots of little things to look at. Thank you for being with us, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, we'll be back next time with more lessons on how to market to hearts and make marketing human again. But in the meantime, class dismissed. 